morning. I am so thankful that Pastor Paul had given me the opportunity to share God's word with you uh, this morning. Please remember to continue praying for him as he is serving the Lord in another location this morning. And I'm excited about this passage. As I was going through it, I was reminded of an incident that happened in kindergarten. When I was in kindergarten, I agreed to be Amy's boyfriend. I didn't know what that meant, and I don't think she did either, but we actually were just good friends. We ate lunch together, played on the playground together, sat next to each other in class. Ladies, it was super cute. Then one day, we went to PE class. And we had to pick a partner for the wheelbarrow race, and Amy picked me. Now, the wheelbarrow race is where one person grabs another person's legs, and they walk on their hands as they race to the finish line. And we lost. We came in last place. And that's when I learned that Amy did not have any time for losers. She gave me a death stare walked off, and never talked to me again. Now, we all know what it's like to end a relationship because somebody didn't live up to our expectations or because they did something that we didn't like. And at one time or another, we've all done that to Jesus. And there are some here this morning You're struggling. You're carrying a weight of guilt, of shame, even embarrassment. Because you know that you're not living in a right relationship with Jesus. You know that you're not faithfully following him. We've all done that. There was a time where we committed to loving him. But... When the cost outweighed the benefit, we walked away and returned to living our way again. And and some of you here this morning, that's where you're at. And you're struggling. And you could even be a person that comes to church every Sunday. You're going to a community group. You're even finding a place to serve. But you know, when you're not on this campus, you're not walking in a right relationship with the Lord. And if that's where you are this morning, then I want you to know that there's hope for that burden of sin, the heaviness and the weight that comes on a Christ follower when they're not walking right with the Lord. There's an opportunity for that to be lifted and for you to be ignited with a love for Jesus that will push you through to being faithful no matter what the circumstances of life bring. And we find that hope in this passage. In John 21, verses 15 through 19. You know, that's what Peter did. Peter had professed to loving Jesus, to following Him. But the time came for Jesus to be arrested and crucified, and Peter denied Him three times. He quit Team Jesus. 
And the reason he did that is the same reason that we do it. It's because he didn't love Jesus very well. And maybe he didn't truly love him at all. But we find Peter and Jesus sitting around this campfire after breakfast with the other disciples. And Jesus exposes the lack of love that Peter had. And he, he identifies love as the most important factor for Peter moving forward. And that's what he does for us too. We would all benefit from testing our love and comparing the way we love Jesus to the way the Bible says that we should love Jesus. Because love is the thing that is going to help us grow in our relationship with Christ and the thing that would help us remain faithful for the rest of our lives. I want to ask that you stand and read these verses with me. Or at the very least, just stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. Chapter 21, verses 17 through, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of God, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying these things to him, he said to him, follow me. I want to ask everyone to close their eyes for prayer one more time. And right there in the quietness of the room and in your heart, just ask the Lord to open your heart to ignite a love for Jesus in you. A blazing fire for Jesus. Lord, we come to you one more time with open Bibles and open hearts. Asking that, that you would do something to strengthen our love for Christ that would help us be a blessing to each other, to be an encouragement to one another, but would also strengthen us to remain faithful in any circumstance of life. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So what is this all about? It's about this one idea 
that we need to truly love Jesus in order to remain faithful to him. And so in these passages, John gives us three ways that we should express our love for Jesus. Three ways that God expects us to express our love for Jesus. And the first is, we should express our love for Jesus with humility. Look back again at verse 15. After they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Then Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said, feed my lambs. This question that he asks Peter is interesting. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Because just a a few days before, about a week before, that's exactly what Peter claimed. He claimed, Jesus, I love you more than the other disciples. He said, they will leave you. They will abandon you. But I will keep following. I will be arrested with you. I will die for you. And so Jesus asked Peter this question to expose the pridefulness in Peter's declaration of love. Peter was prideful in thinking that he was better than the other disciples, that he loved Jesus more, that he would be more faithful. And Jesus' question exposed that pride. But we can see in Peter's response that his failure had brought him some new humility. Notice he didn't actually answer the question. Jesus said, do you love me more than them? He didn't even attempt to answer that question. This time, instead of comparing his love to the love of others, he just simply said, Jesus, you know I love you. Let's just leave it at that. He had been humbled. One of my favorite things that has happened over the last year is we got a COVID puppy. Our COVID puppy is an Australian shepherd, and we just love her. And one day I decided I was going to take her to the dog park for the first time, and I was really nervous. Even on the way there, I was gripping the steering wheel just thinking, and that's what I do when I, when I think. I get really tense, and I'm thinking, what, what if another dog attacks her? What if she jumps on somebody? What if we're in a scary situation, and I call her, and she won't come? All of these things. The one thing that happened, I never expected would happen. We walked into the dog park and we saw this intense conversation between Sparky and a pit bull. And Sparky was in that pit bull's face going crazy. Now there was a fence separating the pit bull and Sparky. And she was just in that fence and in that face, and she was just giving that dog the business. I want you guys to meet Sparky. Now, what would happen if somebody removed the fence? Sparky would have a really bad day. 
it would not go well. Here's what happens. Sometimes like an overconfident chihuahua, we think that we are stronger, better, and more capable than we really are. And we'll say things like, I would never cheat on my taxes like so-and-so cheated on their taxes. I would never walk out on my family like so-and-so walked out on their family. I would never gamble away my savings. I would never do what so-and-so did. And all of that is just pride. It's not expressing a love for Jesus. It's expressing a prideful arrogance and overconfidence in yourself. And we can never be prideful and loving at the same time. In 1 Corinthians 13.4, the Apostle Paul explains that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I want you to pinpoint that idea of it not being arrogant. Another way of saying that is that it's not prideful. And any time we compare how good of a relationship we have with Jesus to how good of a relationship someone else has with Jesus, any time we compare our faithfulness to their faithfulness, our love to their love, it is always prideful and it is always wrong. It's legalistic. And it's legalistic because it requires us to base how good of a relationship we have with God on what we do or what we don't do. So if I check this box and this box and this box and this box, I'm going to feel great about my relationship with God, especially if I'm sitting by someone who is doing such a poor job. And at the same to- on the same token, you come over to the other side and you realize, man, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. And you're surrounded by people who at least look like they really love Jesus and you're feeling awful about your relationship with the Lord. Prideful expressions of legalism will always lead us in one of those directions. We will always either feel better about ourselves than we should or worse than we should. But the problem is, in any direction, it's all prideful and arrogant. Because God accepts us. God loves us. God strengthens us. God uses us. And it's all based on what Jesus did. You know, nothing for what we have done. So I would encourage you, in your walk with the Lord, in your desire to love Him well, try to avoid at all costs comparing yourselves to other people. Just depend on Jesus. Acknowledge your limitations to Him. We all have limitations. Acknowledge those and depend on Jesus to help you love Him well. We can't be prideful and loving at the same time. One, we want to express our love for Jesus with humility. Two, express your love for Jesus 
by serving other believers. We have several things happening in verses 15 through 17. We, we have the questions, do you love me? And then each time, Peter's saying, yes, I love you. But notice after each question and answer, Jesus assigns Peter a ministry task. First, he says, feed my lambs, then tend my sheep, then feed my lamb, or feed my sheep. And so, we've got this idea of lambs and sheep, and here's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, Peter, I want you to look out for the lambs, those who are new believers or young believers. Another way of saying new believers would be saying immature believers or maturing believers. The reality is, even the most mature in this room still act immature sometimes. But Peter is recognizing there's a difference. And then these sheep are those who are spiritually mature believers. And Peter is being assigned to care for them. Now, I want you to take two points from that, two ideas. One, that every single one of us, the young, the new, and the spiritually mature, we all need leadership, spiritual protection, and spiritual, mature, and, and spiritual nourishment. And God has called someone other than us to provide that for us. In our case, we have pastors and elders who have been called to those offices that help provide that. And we all need it. But, we cannot say that that responsibility to serve, to take on a ministry task, is only for those who have called to a church office. Those elders, pastors, and deacons. Because in this passage, Jesus was not calling Peter to an office. He was only giving him a ministry service. He was only inviting him back to be a part of the ministry team to serve other believers. And so that responsibility to serve and care for other believers for the purpose of providing care, protection, spiritual nourishment, basically encouragement to remain faithful to the Lord and grow in our faith in Christ, we all share that responsibility. That every person who claims to love Jesus and identifies with Him, Jesus has assigned a ministry task. And our love for Him should drive us to find out what it is and to begin serving our brothers and sisters in Christ because we know that service will encourage them to remain faithful to Jesus. That's one of the reasons why in Galatians 5.13, the Apostle Paul says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Love should motivate us to serve one another. As I was studying and preparing for this message, I came across something interesting that happened during World War I. 
Today it's known as the Christmas truce of 1914. Now in December of 1914, there was bitter fighting between the English and the Allied forces and the Germans. But something incredible happened on Christmas Eve. The German soldiers put down their weapons and started climbing out of the trench and they walked to the center of no man's land. That spot where bullets were flying, grenades were being thrown, they walked out. And they invited the English soldiers to join them for a time of celebrating Christmas. And so that's what happened. They shared drinks. They exchanged gifts. They sang Christmas carols. And to this day, historians are struggling to figure out why this happened. It wasn't sanctioned. It was completely led by the troops. Many of the higher-ups were upset that it happened. And so for historians, it just really doesn't make sense. But one German lieutenant helps us understand, at least from his perspective, what happened and why it happened. This is what he wrote. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus, Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. What was it? It was the celebration of love represented at Christmas. It was love that moved them to meet in the middle of that battlefield to celebrate Christmas. And I would say... If that kind of love can can bring enemies together for that purpose, then our love for Christ should move us towards other believers in a loving way for the purpose of helping, for the purpose of encouraging, and for the purpose of serving. That love should compel us. And so I want to encourage you to find Whatever God has made you a tent at, if you are saved, then you have spiritual gifts that make you great at something. Start serving to find out what you're great at for the benefit of others. You've experienced this. Your teachers who teach Sunday school, the singers who lead in worship, those who open the door on Sunday morning and tell us how wonderful we look today. They encourage us in our faith as we come into worship in ways we can't even see or feel. They strengthen us to remain faithful to Jesus. And it's important for you to do that for others too. And here's another way you can serve other believers. There are those who are struggling. They're going through difficult seasons of life. They're facing so many challenges, it's hard for them to even think about what's going to come next. Here's how you can help. As you're walking around the worship center or campus, as you're around other believers, just move towards people in a loving way 
introduce yourself and start talking to them. Listen to them. What they're going through, their story, how God's working in their life, their struggle. And as the Holy Spirit gives you an idea of how you can help this person, just do it. Just find a way to help them. And I would encourage you to avoid asking them how you can help. For those who are going through really difficult circumstances of life, the burden of even thinking through how another person can help them is too much. And so just find something that's helpful, a little thing, a big thing, it doesn't matter. And just help. You don't even have to ask for permission. Just move towards someone in love, and as you see a need, just decide to help. If we're going to love Christ well, then we need to express our love for Him with humility, and we need to express our love for Him by serving other believers. Lastly, we need to, you need to express your love for Jesus with sacrificial devotion. Look with me again in verse 18, because this is so strong. I just want us to see it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said, follow me. I cannot imagine how difficult it must have been for Peter to hear how he was going to die. That Roman soldiers would dress him, bind his hands, and then walk him to the place of his execution where his hands would be stretched out and he would be nailed to a cross because of his love for Jesus. And then after hearing how he was going to die, Jesus told him to do something that Peter hadn't been told to do for a few years. He just looked at Peter and said, follow me. We know, looking back on history, that Peter was crucified because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. Ultimately, his love for Jesus ended up costing him everything. And it should cost us everything, too. Like a firefighter who rushes into a burning building... Risking his health, his safety, his security, his life to respond to an emergency call. We should be willing to make sacrifices and suffer loss for the sake of responding to Jesus' call. That call that comes out to all of us, follow me. The Apostle Paul wrote, in Philippians 3.8, he said, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I want to give you the NICK version. Here's what Paul was saying. I've suffered the loss of family. I've suffered the loss of friends. I have suffered the loss of my finances. I have suffered the loss of my job. I have suffered the loss of my past ministry. I have suffered the loss of all of it. And I consider it all to be street trash. Compared to gaining Christ. To having Christ more completely developed in my life. When Jesus called us to follow him, he called us to pick up our crosses, to follow after him and die. To deny ourselves every single day for his glory and for the benefit of others. He told us that we would lose our reputations. He told us that it would cost us our finances. He told us that it would cost us things like safety and security. He never said that it would be easy. He told us what we would lose. And he told us to count the cost before deciding to follow him. So it should cost us something. And I don't understand why so many Christ followers are willing to suffer the loss of their reputation, to make enemies with other people, to give so much of their resources and their finances to political agendas and social causes that do not advance the mission of Jesus Christ. That there is so much sacrifice in giving to that but not a willingness to suffer loss for the sake of seeking and saving the lost and making disciples of Jesus Christ, and it's not okay. There are some causes that the church should be fighting on the front lines for, and I believe that Mission Hill does that, but you cannot mistake that with the most important mission of Jesus. And the most important mission of Jesus is about less people spending eternity in hell and more people spending eternity in heaven. It's about the salvation of the sinner. And if what you love most is pushing you to give your time, your energy, your resources, to suffer loss, if, if what you're, you're doing all that for is not leading you to get more of Jesus, to having him developed more completely in you, if it's not leading you to advance his mission to save lost people, then you are, you are, you are wasting your life. He's called us to suffer loss for his mission. For his glory. And those who are truly expressing their love for Jesus will willingly do that because they believe that Jesus is worth more than whatever they suffer or lose. So I've shared with you three ways to express your love for Jesus in a way 
that God wants you to in a way that will help you remain faithful to Jesus, that will protect you from walking away from Him, expressing it with humility, serving other believers, and sacrificial devotion. And I imagine that if I had the chance to pull aside with some of you, you would share with me that this isn't a great season of life for you. That you're struggling. You're not proud of who you are or what you've done, but you're struggling. And you might would say, Nick, that's great. I think that's right. We should love Jesus that way. But right now... I'm not in a good place and I don't really feel like expressing love to Jesus or anyone else. And I think that if we could have pulled Peter aside in that moment, he might have said the same thing. This was one of the worst days of his life. He was carrying that weight of shame and guilt and embarrassment. He blew it. And I imagine that he wasn't feeling very loving or sharing love with anybody. And I think it's interesting, as Jesus is describing to him the way that he was going to die, what did he say? He said, they're going to lead you where you do not want to go. He wasn't going to want to do it. So what, what pushed him to be able to remain faithful even when he didn't want to? It was his love for Jesus. How did he get that love for Jesus? God put it there. And God could put a love for Jesus in your heart today, right where you're at, no matter where you've gone, where you've been, what you've done. He can ignite a blazing fire for Jesus in your heart. I remember growing up, I spent a lot of time with the Fleming family. David was my best friend. I loved him, and I loved being around his family. And one day, I thought I ruined everything. We were riding bikes in front of his house with some other neighborhood kids. And as we rode past his driveway, I did something that I did a lot. And I just started yelling cuss words. And I looked up the driveway of his house and my heart sank. Because Mr. and Miss Fleming were working in the yard, and I thought, I know they heard me. And I thought, oh no. This is going to be another family that says, he's not playing with my kid again. This is going to be another family that says, he's not coming back to our house. But that never happened. I don't know if they heard me or not. If they did, they never said anything. But here's what did happen. Between fourth grade and graduating high school, 
I spent more nights and weekends at David's house than I can count. There were times where I needed a a place of refuge when life didn't feel very safe and I would stay at their house. They even took me on their family vacations and they were awesome vacations. Have you ever seen that commercial where the kids in the family picture of somebody else's family? It wasn't quite like that, but it kind of was. They had become family to me. They cared for me. And I found out as I got older that Mrs. Fleming had provided things for me throughout my life that I never even knew about. Not too long ago, Mr. Fleming, Bob, passed away and I had the privilege of preaching his funeral. And after that, I started spending a little more time with Mrs. Fleming, with Dolores. And I'd go back to Titusville, visit with her. We'd go out to dinner. I'd stay at her house and we would just visit and talk. And that relationship became more of a friendship and less of, hey, this is just David's mom who cares about me. We developed a friendship. And that friendship developed to the point to where I was able to ask a question that I always wanted to ask. I said, Dolores, there were so many families in our church that wouldn't let me play with their kids for good reason. And there are so many families who wouldn't allow me to come to their house for good reason. Why did you let me spend so much time with David? Why did you let me spend so much time in your house? And before I even finished the question, she cut me off. And she said, Nick, I remember the day I met you. That was 35 years ago. But she said, I remember. She said, I remember the day I met you. God put a love for me, for you in my heart. I can't even tell you how her love and the love of that family has shaped and influenced my life. It, it influences the way I treat my wife. It influenced and has shaped the way that I relate to my children, the way that I lead my family spiritually. I have the family that I have today Because of how God used the Flemings. And it all started because God put a love in her heart for me. And I am telling you that you may not feel like loving Jesus because life's not going well and you're struggling. You may not feel like expressing love But if you will open your heart to the love of God, he will put a love in you that will change your life. It will shape you. And and that flame that he ignites in your heart for Christ will help you love Christ in ways you never thought or imagined that you could. And it will not only help you grow in your relationship with Christ now, it will keep you faithful to Christ no matter what the circumstances of life brings. He will do that for you today. And so there are two ways to respond this morning. And one is, 
the response of those who have never truly trusted Jesus for salvation. You've never truly surrendered your life to him. You will never be able to love Jesus well until you surrender your life to him and trust him for salvation. You may believe that God exists. You may believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You may come to church and be raised in church, but you know you have never truly surrendered your life to Christ. And today, I want to invite you to do that. You see, Jesus left heaven and he came to earth on a rescue mission. He came to rescue those who recognize that they're sinners, who recognize that God is the only one who can help them. There's nothing they can do to make things right. Those who know they have offended God and need God's mercy, that's who he came to rescue. And then he lived a perfect life. And he did that on our behalf. And that's so important because God requires you to be perfect. That's why nobody can claim to have always had a relationship with Jesus. Because you're not perfect. And because you're not perfect, God can't accept you the way that you are. He has to reject you. But Jesus came to live a perfect life for us. So here's the good news. When I stand before God, he's not going to see that disrespectful punk with a foul mouth. He's going to look at my life through the life of Jesus, and he's going to see someone as perfect as his son. But it's not enough for Jesus to have lived a perfect life for us. Because God is holy, he is just, and he has to punish when his law is broken, and we have broken his law. Somebody has to be punished for it. And Jesus died on the cross to take that punishment. And when he died on the cross, it was like sticking a sponge in water. And how that sponge absorbs the water. Jesus absorbed our sin, God's wrath and anger for our sin. He absorbed our punishment, our embarrassments, our failures, our shames, our hurt, and on and on. Jesus took it all and in its place, he gave us the righteousness of God. And once he lived a perfect life for us and then died on the cross for us, there was nothing to keep God from accepting us. Jesus did it all. But you have to receive it as a free gift. He's holding it out to you. You have to take it as it is. And you do that by going to God and admitting that you're a sinner. By admitting that there's nothing you can do to make things right. By confessing to God your belief that Jesus is God. That he died on the cross to be punished for your sins. And that he rose from the dead. And that he is good enough to make you acceptable to God. And then you make a commitment to God. Believing all that is true. Being so convinced that it's true that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and commit to living His way instead of your way. I want to ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. This morning I believe that there are some in this room who know for a fact that you don't have a relationship with God, you've never had a relationship with God because you've never truly surrendered to Him. I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. 
All you have to do is pray this prayer with me. I'm going to say a part of the prayer, and then you'll say a part of the prayer, and then I'll say another part of the prayer, and you'll say that part, and on and on. But you've got to know, there's nothing special or magical about these words. The words won't save you. The only way that you will benefit is if in your heart you truly believe. And these words are just an expression of your belief. But if you do believe, and if you do surrender, Jesus will forgive you and save you today. So if that's you, I want you to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I know that you're a loving God and you love me. I also know that I'm a sinner. I have offended you. I've broken your laws. God, I know that you cannot accept me the way that I am. And I have nothing to offer you. But God, I believe that Jesus is God. That he lived a perfect life for me. That he died on the cross for me. And that he rose from the dead. I believe that what he did for me is good enough to make me forgiven and for you to accept me. So God, come into my life and take control. Save me. I commit my life to living your way. I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you all to stand and and keep looking at me. If you prayed that prayer and you believed in your heart what you prayed, today for you, the day is a day of salvation. God has saved you. And he has planted a seed of love that's going to change your life. But there are others of you You need to make a different kind of a commitment because you know you're saved. You know you trusted Jesus to save you, but you also know that you're not fully surrendered to him right now. You're not living for him with your whole heart. You've bought into houses and cars and jobs and privileges and comfort and safety, and you know that you're not following Jesus the way that he wants you to. And some of you, even as Christ followers, are living with some, self, some, some life-dominating sins. As this band plays, and as we worship, I want to ask that you will make a commitment to turn back to Jesus with your whole heart. That you would open your heart to Him and ask Him to start a fire, a blazing fire of love for Jesus that will help you to start growing in your relationship with Him again and to remain faithful for the rest of your life. I'm asking now that you will turn to Him with your whole heart.